Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. On June 22, 2013, Valerie Spiridonov sent the following email to Italian doctor Sergio Canavero. Dear Dr. Sergio, I am a 29 years old disabled man with a muscle atrophy. I was so excited to read from newspapers about your research on head transplantation. Please tell me, what resources do you need for a successful operation? Can I be usable to you? I am ready to take part in any experiments if you need. Sincerely, Val. Hey, and welcome back to Radio Motherboard. I'm staff writer Jason Kebler, and this week's episode is going to be all about the head transplant. I don't know if you've heard too much about the proposed head transplant, or body transplant, I guess, but here's the plan. Dr. Canavero wants to use what he's calling the Gemini procedure. Val's body and that of a brain-dead donor will be cooled to a very low temperature to prevent blood loss. Then, using a very sharp knife, Canavero is going to sever the heads of both and essentially glue Val's head onto the donor body. At a TED Talk, Dr. Canavero compares a spinal cord to a banana. If you smash a banana, you have no hope of putting it back together. But if you use a sharp knife, you can chop it in half and essentially glue it back together with no problem. Val's new body will be placed into a coma for a month, with the hope being that his spine will heal enough for him to survive. Canavero says he'll be able to walk a year after the surgery, which is planned for 2017. This plan obviously has its detractors. Uh, Dr. Canavero hasn't done any animal studies, um, and the only other time that this has been tried uh, was back in the 70s uh, when an American scientist named Dr. Robert White experimented on monkeys. Um, One of the monkeys actually lived for about a week after he did a transplant, but uh, it it needed help breathing, it couldn't move, and it was kind of a disaster. Um... Dr. Canavero's experiment is going to cost millions of dollars, require a team of 150 people, and obviously it's very controversial. I have no idea if it's actually going to happen. Um, I don't know. You know, they need money. They need approval from a government. They need a spot to do it. Um, Val has to live that long, I guess, because his condition is very serious. But it's planned for 2017. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk to everyone involved to hear what they have to say. And then, you know, we can kind of decide from there uh, whether this has any shot or not, I guess.
There were thousands of news stories about the head transplant, but few of them gave Canavero or Val the opportunity to explain what they were thinking and feeling in their own words. I want to give you guys a peek behind the curtain. So coming up, we're going to have very lightly edited interviews with Val, the patient, and with Sergio Canavero, the surgeon. Then to help us pull it all together, we're going to talk to Arthur Kaplan, a world-renowned bioethicist at New York University's med school, and one of the more outspoken critics of this proposed procedure. Before we get to Val, a couple last things. First, these were Skype calls with varying levels of clarity, so please bear with us on any drops in audio quality. Second, Dr. Canavero likes to talk, so stick along for the ride he takes us on. And lastly, if you think all this is too gruesome, skip to the end, where Motherboard staff and I will be talking about something a little less serious, our new in-office obsession. Okay, let's call up Val. Hi, Jason. Hi, how are you? I'm totally fine, thank you. Hi. Just a little bit tired because lots of press is interested about me. I just uh, recently uh, got back from Moscow and uh, slept uh, a couple a couple of hours uh, trying to uh, answer all all the email, all the messages. What what made you decide to kind of step out and announce that that you wanted to do this? I mean, wh- why now? I guess. Okay, uh, you know, uh, this is um, uh, this is an experiment of uh, a very huge scale. We we must understand it. Uh, it's something near to uh, first man into the space, uh, first man uh, on the moon, uh, and things like this. It's um, it's a breakthrough in science, in technology, in biology, and uh, we we had to announce it. We we just couldn't keep it secret because people uh, must know what's going on and uh, what opportunities are going to be opened. So um, it had it had to be announced, and um, I need to to tell people that uh, this kind of uh, operation and experiment is uh, needed and demanded by hundreds of thousands of people in uh, much worse conditions than I am. So it's it's pretty important. It will give uh, lots of knowledge in, uh, in in science, and it it must be done. Right, right. Is is there any sort of uh, preparation that you have to go through, or is your is your life going to remain pretty normal until until the operation? Um, <clears throat> you know, um, the, the operation is going to be in uh, uh, twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. and today I I'm not doing something special. I I just I talk to people. I I um, describe what's going to be. I uh, I show them uh, the uh, the unlimited opportunities uh, in this project. I I show them how I feel being in uh, my uh, body, my very very weak body, and uh, that people like me need lots of attention from other people. We need care. We need. Uh, support. We need uh, all this stuff, and we we depend very much on on our relatives, on our close people to help us every day, and it's kind of depressing. And uh, everybody must know this, I think, because uh, no one no one faces difficulties uh, like we do every day. 
Uh, so uh, we, um, me and Canavero, we uh, we do some preparation. Uh, he told me that uh, there will be a conference of uh, the most uh, famous uh, neurosurgeons in Annapolis, uh, State, Illinois, uh, this summer, mm -hmm. and he will. Uh, make presentation there he will uncover some secrets there and he wants me to be there and uh, I I seek for support I seek for uh, people who can can um, help me to go to states because I live in Russia uh, I have a job I, I earn some money but uh, it's not uh, it's not big I, I, I am a programmer mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's a regular job and uh, going to states is a pretty pretty hard work for me, right. because I need I need to pay for my tickets, I need to pay for my friends' tickets who help me, and uh, uh, I I do all th this kind of preparation. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, the operation itself is is expensive. Is there fear that it won't get funded, or are you pretty uh, pretty certain that someone will will step up and and help fund this? Uh, uh, you know. Uh, I don't really, uh, uh, really um, worried about this aspect because uh, uh, people must know that uh, uh, the operations of uh, the, the projects of such scale they are uh, very important to uh, countries, to governments, mm -hmm. and uh, governments must uh, fight to support Canavero. Uh, and uh, to uh, to help him to do this job, and uh, he, I, I don't think he must uh, uh, worry about money either, because um, it's it's a matter of uh, uh, humanity. It's uh, it's such such things. It's such a huge step forward. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure lots of people have asked you, you know, if you're scared or this sort of thing. But I, I'm interested in what your life has been like. I mean, what, you, you're a programmer. Um, what what projects are you working on? What what do you do, kind of on a day to day basis? Well, um, I, I work for companies uh, who uh, make educational software. Uh, we make uh, programs for schools uh, for kids, uh, and I do the uh, 3D graphics uh, stuff there. Mm -hmm. So I draw animations. I draw. Uh, um, uh, visual effects. I do uh, um, video clips about uh, chemistry exper experiments, physics experiments, such, such things. Mm -hmm. 3D graphics, mm -hmm. mostly. And, uh, and uh, I, I work uh, through the internet. I wake up uh, at uh, about 9 o'clock every day. Uh, uh, my neighbor helps me to get up from the bed uh, every day because I can't do it uh, by myself. Um, and I work all the day because uh, I don't like uh, spending time for things that don't matter. Uh, I, I don't watch lots of TV, I don't watch lots of films. I, I like to, to work, I like to, uh, I like to uh, be, uh, uh, I like to produce something good. So uh, I do this stuff, and uh, then all day long my uh, mother helps me. She cooks. She she helps me every day. 
and uh, these kinds of things. Right. Has it, has it always been like this, or is it uh, kind of degenerated as you've gotten older? Well, um, I can't walk uh, since uh, one year, since I was uh, a little kid. So I, I don't remember myself walking, and I got used to it. I don't have uh, some very depressing thing uh, thoughts, and uh, I I am totally okay with this. I uh, I adopted to live like this, and uh, uh, I don't uh, often visit uh, doctors. No, I mm, the doctors can't help me anyway because it's uh, incurable disease and. Uh, and otherwise, I don't uh, I need to see them. Right. Do you look, what do you look forward to after the operation? Mm. Uh, you know, after the separation, um, anyway, uh, anyway, it uh, happens. Ever I leave or not, ever I can walk or not, there will be uh, a huge uh, uh, science basis after that. The people will learn how to do uh, such kind of complex things, mm -hmm. and uh, it will help uh, help future generation generations. I hope, uh, and people uh, after me. So, uh, it's totally worth it. Right. How how much about the science do you understand? Uh, well, uh, I'm not uh, I'm not a doctor. I do not have uh, medical education. No, I'm I'm an engineer. So. Uh, I understand about uh, some engineering stuff, but um, I totally trust Canavero in other things. Mm -hmm. So I asked, I just spoke to him about an hour ago, and he, you know, he seems very confident about this, um, which is good, obviously. But um, it's, do you worry that if it uh, if it fails, then no, no one else will have this opportunity again for a while? It just it seems like there's a lot riding on this first case. Almost. Mm, well, uh, I'm not worried about anything because uh, someone needs to be first, and someone needs to go further and uh, where no one has been before. And uh, the first spaceman was afraid, uh, I think, uh, and uh, I am afraid, sure. But uh, I understand that it must be done because if you don't try it, uh, it will never happen. Well, th this is obviously an amazing story, and I, I hope everything goes well. Uh, you know, these next few years, and then uh, hopefully get you know a new body, and, and everything's great. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Can you hear me? Absolutely clear. Five and five. <laughs> Great. Um, I'm sure you've gotten a ton of requests, but I just wanted to uh, learn a little bit about the um, about the process and when you're going to do this. Well, um, when I do, well, I'll do this is well. Everybody knows in Annapolis if uh, I crew. Well, not, not actually crew because the crew is already there. The last one has been added today, and from the United States, an orthopedic surgeon. And um, actually, we had to decide where to do it. So in Annapolis, we'll see if uh, any academic center 
steps up to the challenge and uh, accepts to go along with it. Now, uh, let it be known that if America decides not to do it, but I'm pretty confident that they will change their mind uh, because I had so many support, silent support, uh, not yet public. So I'm confident. But if it will not pan out in the United States, it will pan out in China. The Chinese will do it. We're already in contact, so either way, it's going to happen. So the world is better prepared for it. Right, right. I know that there were experiments with monkeys, um, you know, back in the middle of the last century. How does your um, process differ from that? Uh, look, actually, what you're referring to was just uh, the whole heaven procedure, but without a Gemini procedure, mm -hmm. uh, which was what the, the missing link of the, the, the entire process. Uh, Gemini was already feasible at the time of Dr. White's. Mm -hmm. Problem is, it was not a functional neurosurgeon. He did not know incredibly as miss sound uh, about this work being done just next door and published in regular journals but uh, if you, you you know you can't know everything you can't read everything because uh, i understand it's it's hard however uh, the possibility of just rejoining two severed stumps of a sharp of a cleanly sharply severed cord was really out there 50 years ago mm -hmm. and um so uh, I just uh, had to perfect the process, and uh, what is absolutely incredible, and believe me, it's absolutely incredible, is that uh, this polymer thing uh, was um, was out there for the first time in 1986. 1986. Mm -hmm. So you might reasonably ask me what happened during this past 30 years. How come nobody latched onto the idea of, you know, Hey, if it's so cool, why don't we do it? And uh, actually, Dr. White was alive in 1986. It was just 16 years after his first experiment. So he could have done it himself. And I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. Okay? And just uh, asking questions. Uh, the problem is that uh, he didn't know. Again, he was not a functional neurosurgeon. He was, he was a general neurosurgeon. And uh, even though it might sound ludicrous for you, to you, but we consider ourselves a separate branch, a completely brain. We don't do tumors. We don't do those kind of things. We just stimulate the brain. We do, you know, probably heard. I invented cortical stimulation for several things. So mm -hmm. we are another species. So right, right, right. And um, so uh, to go back to brass tacks, um, he didn't know, but he did all that was needed I mean, what will that will be needed for me right now when we do it? Because the hypothermia protocol is Dr. White's and uh, how to proceed uh, just doing the dissection, Dr. White's work. So actually, nothing new. Of course, the technology has evolved. Well, of course, that goes without saying. Right. But uh, what was missing, the missing link is this. Uh, so the Gemini fusion protocol already worked. And so there's no doubt about it. Um, Instead, I'm just writing a new paper for, for Surgical Neurology International uh, answering some of the ethical issues. Because mm -hmm. right now, this is the hot potato. I find myself, uh, I find myself in my hands. Uh, the ethics. Uh, look, I'm very happy that Valerie, or Valerie, since it's, it's Russian, mm -hmm. uh, just uh, stepped out 
and uh, made this announcement. Uh, because that is my answer to the ethical problem as of the treatment of horrible medical conditions. Mm-hmm. Voila. So, if you want to know, you just go to any hospital, ask to talk to uh, anybody with such a condition, and you do exactly what it does. So, you are on a wheelchair for 24 hours. When you poo, you poo the way they do. When you pee, you pee the way they do. And I just leave it to you to dope out how it happens. So it's pretty horrible. There's no ethical question. So mm, my answer to Dr. Kaplan, who I don't know, I don't know even why he has been interviewed, but is that he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's the cook, the nuts, the nutty guy, that's him, not me. So you understand. <laughs> right, right, right. Can, what, can, what can you tell me about uh, Valeri? I, I'm speaking to him later, but obviously you've been talking to him for like two years. So um, what are your what are your thoughts about him? I mean, he has a tough life, but clearly has a really good attitude about this. Yeah, yeah, he's an incredible guy. Uh, let me tell you this. Valeri is one hell of a hero. He's one hell of a ballsy guy. Uh, he's got guts beyond imagination. Uh, so when all the brouhaha just broke out, uh, Valeri decided that the time was right, and so decided to, you know, uh, come out. Right, and that makes it much easier for you, right? Mm, look, mm, this is a very good question. Let me think about this just a few seconds. Um, in a way, perhaps. In a way, perhaps, because, you know, uh, when I tell, when I say that this is about, first of all, it's about curing disorders, no one really connects. No one really visualizes, except for um, professionals, of course, and patients, connect, it just relates to the view of themselves just being, you know, wheelchair-ridden, laid up or laid up for, you know, decades. Uh, so seeing him on the wheelchair, it's such a boom. You know, you get more bang for the buck than uh, really saying that it's for horrible conditions. Mm-hmm. Because you relate to the human factor. That's absolutely important. So in a way, I think that that's, that's pretty good. Can, can we talk about long-term implications? Because we are a far future sort of publication. And, you know, if this works, if this becomes commonplace, I mean, can you see... A hundred years down the line or less, like transplanting a body onto, or transplanting a head onto an artificial body, or transplanting a head onto um, something well, like that. Jason, uh, what you said? Well, there's a, a mistake there. Okay. You said a hundred years. Mm-hmm. No, we're talking twenty, thirty years. Mm-hmm. So much shorter time frame. Uh, because what the implications you want to know? I'm giving you all the implications. Mm-hmm. I hope you're sitting tight. I am. I am. Yes, very good. Uh, these are the implications. Once this procedure is perfected, of course, in the beginning, I agree with the critics. On this, I agree. It will be more like Kitty Hawk rather than a Boeing 747. No question. Then the procedure will get streamlined, perfected. You know, everybody will have to say, well, I said that if you do this, blah, 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 blah. It will get faster. It will, you know. You won't need 150 persons, it won't last 36 hours, will be done, you know, at the hospital just uh, next to your building, whatever. But imagine this, let's push the future. You know you are a cloner, 
okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you really don't get the point of why you should be just cloning here, there, but getting cells for transplantation. But I t- I'm telling you, head transplantation has become feasible. Mm-hmm. Ah, then, I'm a cloner, and I say, let's go to, you know, the drawing board, and let's see if I can just expedite the process, find some loophole, um, just to make it faster. So, add to this, all the literature is in English and is displayed in the TEDx, uh, so you, you can just uh, uh, look it up there. Okay. Uh, so, at the same time, uh, artificial uteri will be developed, will be perfected, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, what happens is, in the beginning, after those in a horrible condition, you you may decide that Albert Einstein is worth another life, a new lease on life, okay? Mm-hmm. So, society will have to, de- to, to, to decide whether to save Albert Einstein. Are you with me? Right. Yes. Uh, if we want to save Albert Einstein, it means that one brain-dead organ donor will be redirected to uh, saving Albert Einstein. It means that eight people will die. Mm-hmm. No question about that. But when cloning becomes available, then that will be the game changer. It will change human history forever. Because you, me, hopefully, only <laughs> 50, but right. you know, looking bright and young, and uh, we'll get a new body. Because if you get a new body within one year, hey man, at, at age 60, you just uh, start cloning yourself, mm-hmm. and what? Well, then you get your head transplanted. But this century, what must be absolutely clear is that this century will change everything. It will be the, 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 the dividing point in human history. I have no doubt about that. Right. Okay, I have to talk to Valerie right now. So uh, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Uh, let it be known that I think that uh, I and Valerie will be or perhaps, uh, perhaps it's tomorrow, no, no, it's tomorrow, uh, we'll be together on a Russian television via Skype uh, tomorrow, so if you call him, there should be no problem, right, okay? Right, right, okay. <laughs> okay. Whenever you have a link, please send it to me, so I will find it. Absolutely, I will. Thank you very much. Jason, it's Art. Hey, how are you? How are you? Good. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you fine. Okay, great. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I wanted to talk uh, about a few different things. Um, the, the the theme of this podcast will be kind of all about this proposed head transplant. Um, I, I know it's pretty far out there, but mm-hmm. um, I wanted to talk about that. And I also wanted to talk about you know what a bioethicist is and what he does. So... Well, the field began way back in the uh, early 70s, and I was just a student at that time, a graduate student when it started. What fueled it then were four or five big issues. Abortion, remember we were just in the middle of Roe versus Wade and fights about what should happen. Believe it or not, the high cost of health care, which was far less than it is today, but people were concerned about that then, and what we should spend money on was a big issue. Mm-hmm new technology was appearing. So two issues that raised tough questions were in vitro fertilization, 
test tube baby technology was just appearing and there were people arguing about whether that was right or wrong. People had just introduced kidney dialysis. Who should get it became a big issue. And the last issue, the last issue was population control. Should we go to poor countries and give them contraception, force them to take contraception? This was even before the Chinese went to a one baby policy. People were very, very concerned at that time about population control using new technologies like the pill, Depo-Provera, the new uh, intrauterine devices. So uh, that was how we started. And it has evolved uh, over the years since then through literally hundreds of issues. Right. So uh, obviously there are many ethicists out there and uh, the whole field of ethics, you know, constitutes religion and all sorts of everyone. Everyone has a code of ethics, I suppose. So uh, what makes a bioethicist different? Um, is it the fact that this is kind of informed by science or or what? Yeah. So people say to me, well, you know, how does bioethics work? And do you ever get anywhere? And the answer is yes, but it's slow. So when I first came into the field, we didn't have rules about informed consent and supervision of studies in human experiments. We have a whole system of that today, and it came out of bioethics. When I first got into this, we didn't even have the ethical principle that doctors should tell you your diagnosis. They were paternalistic. The notion that you had a right to know if you had cancer or Alzheimer's or Parkinsonism wasn't established, and many doctors didn't tell you. So we shifted that ethical principle toward patient rights or patient autonomy. We've had um, many areas in organ donation that had to be developed with ethical rules about how to ask people when they, uh, when they die who's going to be asked about organ donation. And I could go on, but there are literally dozens of areas where we got to consensus. We get there by, in some instances, arguing by analogy from other things we've agreed upon end-of-life care does that a lot. If we agree that you have a right to stop technology when you're dying, if you don't want it, then can somebody else exercise that right for you? We've agreed that we can and we're arguing by analogy. Sometimes you have to come up with a principle that people agree to. You can steal those from religion or the law uh, or philosophy, which is where I tend to look. Sometimes you want to bring in scientific and empirical facts to help resolve a particular issue. But you drive consensus by saying, look, I don't care about your religion, and I don't care what your mother taught you. We've got to come up with principles that everybody can agree to if we're going to operate, say, a hospital or a nursing home or get consensus about what to do with cloning or stem cells. Right. But it is true that often there is not a consensus on a particular issue, correct? Absolutely true. We still have not gotten consensus in this country about abortion. Uh, worldwide, we don't have consensus about cloning. Uh, there are many topics we have not achieved uh, agreement around. So then what happens is the ethics usually gets pushed aside and gets replaced by politics. And that's what happens when any issue, whatever it is, uh, where we don't get agreement, we wind up having a political resolution or a compromise or some kind of decision not to pay attention to it and let it, people do what they want. Is that problematic from your end? No, it's fine. You know, I, I think we strive to get consensus, but it's also understood that there might be deep divisions of opinion. With Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In society or around the world, and sometimes you just can't drive people to agreement. I think you make the honest effort to get there. You mediate, you look for common ground, but it doesn't always happen. And there are certain issues that just divide us. Right. And I would imagine that a lot of this stuff changes as the science improves. Um, You know, cloning 15 years ago when it, I mean, it's still a a hot button issue, but um, when, when we were, when the science wasn't there yet, it's obviously uh, more problematic to do than when the science is, is kind of set, correct? Absolutely. I'll give you an example again. It's moved slowly over time, but if you went back to the 19th century, the 18th century, people did not think that animals were conscious. They didn't think they felt pain. They didn't think they suffered. They did horrible things to them in uh, experiments and just in general. As we learn the facts about what animals could do, how animals think, how they're, if you will, how they're wired, that they're not that different from us, We saw the rise of the animal rights movement, later restrictions on what you could do to animals in experimenting on them. That shift in ethical thinking was fueled by facts about what animals can and can't do. Right. So uh, I guess that kind of brings us to the head transplant. Um, What what is your major um, problem with what Dr. Canavero wants to do? Well, the major problem I have is I don't think the science is there to do what he says he can do. A crucial part of a head transplant is to get the spinal cord to fuse after you put a head on top of somebody's body. Nobody knows how to do that. And the evidence for that is there are so many people paralyzed with spinal cord injuries or severed spinal cords today that we try to treat. There's no magic potion. There's no magic elixir. There's no magic neurosurgery. And if he has one, he should be going out and helping the literally hundreds of thousands of people who can't walk, can't get out of a wheelchair before he starts uh, going on about a head transplant. Right. So uh, if if a head transplant is going to occur sometime in the far future or, I don't know, even near future, what steps do you see as being necessary before we we get there? Well, certainly one crucial uh, set of steps you'd have to go through would be a long series of animal experiments. Some people have said, well, we've done some animal experiments. Yeah, we did them in uh, monkeys in the 60s, and the monkeys died, and the head was rejected by the body. There have been a few bizarre experiments back in the 1920s in Russia. I mean, no one's really done serious work with animals. So clearly you begin with animals, and you do that extensively to see, can you keep the head from rejecting? Will the healing lead you to see some sort of function in a transplanted head? Uh, Can they uh, integrate with the body? Do you get signs of some kind of mental illness taking place because the brain can't deal with the new body's chemistry? You have to also perfect the immunosuppression. Look at the school I'm at at NYU Medical. We do face transplants. We can barely make those work because to move a face, you have to use a lot of drugs, immunosuppression, and the body fights the new face constantly. 
ahead would be far, far more challenging. So you've got to do all of those things. Then you should be moving into humans who have damaged spinal cords, seeing if your techniques can help them, help those people uh, repair broken uh, bodies uh, that have been literally severed from their heads. And then once you've got that done, you might be in a position to try the uh, real head transplant. Why do you think he or someone else hasn't tried animal experiments, you know, since those, since Dr. White's? I think there's a little bit of a PR angle here. If you look this guy up, he's not really a neurosurgeon. He's done cognitive stimulation, which doesn't involve spinal cord surgery. I think there's a little bit of hype here that he's drawing attention to himself, enjoying the limelight. If he was serious, he would never be going about it this way. He wouldn't be recruiting a human patient or making promises to desperate people. He'd be in the lab trying to get money to say, I've got some new way to fuse that spinal cord. Let me test it on animals. Right. So, uh, I I mean, I've spoken to both Dr. Canavero and Valerie, the the prospective patient. And, um, you know, Valerie really, truly believes this is going to happen and that this is the only way um, that the, the only way out for him. Um, what what would you say to him? I mean, it was kind of heartbreaking talking to him. Well, he suffers from a horrible disease, and I have a case I'm involved with somebody here who has the same disease that he does. Their body wastes away. They look like a concentration camp victim. They basically can't do anything, and ultimately they die. So I'm sure people are thinking, well, why not give him a shot at anything? The fact is, a head transplant can make you worse off. It can make you violently sick while you die. It can shorten your life, but we can make you far more miserable, pouring chemicals into you, immunosuppression, leaving you uh, with less mobility and less activity than you had. Even doing the transplant, if we drive you literally insane because the chemistry doesn't work out right, uh, time and again, if you look at experiments that are ahead of their time, when they're done on humans, think about the artificial heart, we make dying worse. And that has to be kept in mind. So I understand why someone in his situation would say, I'll try anything. But that doesn't mean the science should be offered until we have some idea of what really the odds are of having any chance of success. Right. I mean, his his brain is all there right now. Um, it sounds like he's thought this out. Is, is there an ethical way of doing this? Say, like, if he starts having some sort of rejection issues or, you know, there are signs of insanity or something, you just... Uh, you know, euthanize him or, or something. I mean, is, is there a way to do this ethically in your mind? I don't see it. Um, I think there are experiments. We even have to think about this with the face transplant. If you do it and it fails, are you going to help that person to die? Would you actively commit homicide because there's no way to retransplant a face or do anything for that person and they're going to die miserably? So you do need an exit strategy if you're going to do experiments. But we wouldn't even get into that debate without having done a lot of face transplants in animals, without having some idea of what the uh, drugs are that are going to keep the face on within a range of things. There's no point in spending literally $100 million, which is the kind of thing this would cost, if it has no shot. Mm -hmm. So he wants to take his chance. I understand that. But from the point of view of how we spend our scarce dollars in science, what we risk doing to somebody in terms of making them completely worse off, even as bad as it is for him. No, I don't see a step. I I don't see a way forward right now. What is the exit strategy for these face transplants? 
So we agree we're going to let people die. We're not going to try and fight infections. We're going to give them massive doses of pain control uh, drugs. And if they do die because the doses of pain control are so high, so be it. Okay. And if do you talk to the patient beforehand? Are they customized for, for each patient? No, but there certainly is a discussion of what will happen if there is a failure. Now remember, we know from animals that we can get the nerves to uh, regenerate muscles, we can get function. What we know from animals is transplanting a head won't do it. And again, the key part here is this guy has no evidence that he has some way to make a spinal cord regrow. It has to be said again, no matter what he's telling this poor soul with the wasting disease, he hasn't shown he can do it in a paralyzed person. Show me that and then we'll talk. Right. Is there, in your mind, is there any chance this happens? I don't think there's any chance this happens. It's too expensive. He would need to enroll probably a hundred or more doctors because the surgery would be so complicated. Um, I don't think, uh, just the cost and the personnel involved and his lack of standing in the scientific and medical communities, not with him. Right. Um, he mentioned going to China or something like that. Um, do you, do you see it happening in, in that scenario? I mean, do you see it happening? Um, do, you, do you see another country letting this happen or any country in the U.S. or any country in the world letting this happen? I don't, uh, there might be a country somewhere in the world that would say, okay, you know, we don't care what you do to people, try it. But they don't have the money and they don't have the personnel and they don't have the requisite expertise. You know, to do this kind of thing, again, you need immunologists, you need people who would do rehab with this person to uh, try and uh, teach him to use his new body. You need psychiatrists. It goes on and on and on and on. There's no chance that he's going to run off to some mystery island and do this. Right. I, I saw a tweet the other day. I, I forget who sent it to me, but it was after my interview ran, and the tweet said, there's a thin line between a failed head transplant and a beheading. Um, I thought that was kind of a... A nice, not a nice way of saying it, but a very blunt way of saying it. Uh, do you think that's the case? Currently, yes. I think the technology and our knowledge aren't there to do anything other than behead somebody, move the body, and then pretend like we know what we're going to do next. When in fact, aside from this one gentleman, the entire neurosurgical, the entire medical, the entire surgical community just looks at it and says, if you could do this, Go fix people who are paralyzed. Right. So to be clear, you are not against head transplants in the future when the science, if the science ever gets there. I don't think we'll really be doing head transplants in the future. It's old science. What we'll be doing is finding ways, say for this gentleman with his disease, to grow his muscles back using stem cells or exoskeletons that have uh, uh, you know, artificial uh, ways to help him walk. Head transplants are fun for Hollywood, and they're fun for comedy, but they're not the future. So we're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to be back here with Adrian Jeffries and Chris O'Coin to talk about something completely different and a little more lighthearted, I guess. Um, but in the meantime, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Radio Motherboard is brought to you by Casper. It's one perfect mattress made in the USA with free shipping, free returns, and 100 nights to try it in your own home. 
It's a radical new idea. Actually sleep on a mattress to decide if you love it. Check it out at casper.com. You can use code VICE for $50 off of any mattress. So that was a crazy story. It was, wasn't it? It was. I remember when you were first working on this story. Hi, this is Adrian Jeffries, Motherboard's managing editor, by the way. This is still Jason. Um, and Jason was so excited about interviewing Valerie. Uh, he talked to him and his surgeon over the weekend, and we were texting about how excited we were about the story. Yeah, I like tried to track Valerie down uh, right you know, when I heard about it. And so I was Googling in Russian, and I like couldn't really find him. And then I finally found his VK page, which is basically Facebook for Russia. It's very similar. And I sent him a message. I like wrote a, I wrote a thing in English and translated it into Russian and sent it to my Russian friend and emailed it to Adrian's dad, who speaks Russian. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, man, how am I going to get in contact with this guy? And then I saw his ICQ number and his Skype and his email and his phone number. And he just had like so many ways of contacting him. And he also speaks perfect English, as you heard right there. So I felt kind of stupid by sending this like long Russian email that was probably all broken. I'm sure he thought it was really endearing. Maybe. I didn't ask. I should have. But anyways, um, I'm really glad I got to talk to him. And he sounds like he has a great... Uh, kind of outlook on life um but yeah it was one of those stories that i was super excited to tell people um most of the stories i write about i try to explain in a bar and people are like i don't care like move on but this i was like hey you hear about the guy who's getting his head chopped off and so many people were just like yeah so many questions they're just like how's it gonna work is he crazy or a lot of people were just like that's disgusting i don't want to hear about it which was kind of surprising to me yeah they had to hear about it and if you're (laughs) still here you heard about it too uh but we thought we might close this episode with something completely different yeah just uh in case you hated the beginning we wanted to switch gears but you still stayed until the end yeah you know if your ipod classic is broken and the pause button doesn't work and you're stuck on a bike or something Anyways, we have brought in Chris O'Coin. You might remember him from last week. He's Motherboard's supervising producer and lead editor. Is that right? Oh it's God. not right. I messed it up again. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to stick with supervising producer because it's. I, it, it's gotten too too long and too garish. You're like one of those government employees, just... or like one of those kind of high level corporate people who have like vice president of executive. Let's... Productions. We should just call you Dr. Chris O'Coin. I will. I will say I'll take the doctor, and then everyone will hate me. But because uh, I don't even have like a graduate degree or anything to speak of that could possibly put me in this category. But you have a PhD in awesome haircuts, though. <laughs> Check out this guy's haircut. Just imagine it for a moment. Can yeah, you, just can you describe it, Adrian? Uh-huh. Can I describe it? You can. I have a description. I'm still coming to terms with it. I'll be completely honest. Are you? So this must be really helpful. Well, go ahead. Describe it. and I'll I was wh- just going to say, like, it used to be more uniform in length, and now it's shorter on the sides and longer on top. Yeah, which is like it's very for the stylish. listener. It's not. It's not quite the 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 Brooklyn special, as it were. But uh, I feel like I look inspired like inspired by though. This is kind of random, but I I feel like it looks like the the drummer of uh, the Minutemen 
and fire hose for that matter. And it's kind of weirding me out every time I've, you know, you forget you get a haircut and you like uh-huh. look in the mirror and you're like, what the shit? And then you have yeah. to come to terms with it. It's like an existential dilemma constantly. Okay. So we'll pause here to give listeners time to Google the drummer. It looks fantastic. I really like it. I think it looks good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, So, Adrian and I have been completely obsessed these last few weeks with a game called Cookie Clicker. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with this, but it's how we've been spending a lot of our time lately. Chris, do you have any idea what Cookie Clicker is? Yeah. uh, One of my friends who's a software engineer got briefly obsessed with it last year, and uh, I just would see him posting things on social media about it. And so I checked it out, and I thought it was uh, like really fucking boring. And I don't, I don't get it. I don't. You just like you literally just keep like clicking. Mm-hmm. To my recollection, you keep clicking cookies. You're like making cookies. Is that yeah. what? Yeah. And I didn't understand it. And I, I don't know if it's like a leveling up thing, which I also hate. Like I don't like. It's like uh huh. Like gaming in general for me, I like very surface level games. I don't know if this is necessarily gaming. It is. I, it's like <laughs> uh, it's like. Every it's like game mechanics just distilled to their most essential, lowest common denominator version of the of the thing that keeps you addictive in addicted in a game. It's a button masher, like it's, quite yeah. literally. Yeah, but it's not like a classic lo- like uh, Konami button masher, like the arcade games I played when a kid. There's just no, I don't know. I I I I don't get it. I felt like I was being trolled when I played it. You know, just like I think. It's like it's that sort of part of it. It it so before Cookie Clicker, first of all, this game is not new. It's been around for a long time. Yeah, can you also explain I'll what explain it is? I'll explain what it is. So it is uh it's a web game. It's in your browser. And um it's it just basically looks like it, there's a picture of a floating cookie. It has these really cutesy graphics. And then uh the the rest of it is like things you can buy. So you can increase your cookie production. The goal is to increase your cookie production. It's just always to get more cookies. Yeah, it's cookies per minute. uh, Cookies per second. Cookies per second, my fault. You just click and you can create cookies by clicking on the cookie. And that's why it's called Cookie Clicker. It's very fun. So, (laughs) yeah. So you basically, you just make more cookies and then you can buy like ovens and You can hire grandmas or perhaps enslave them i'm not sure and then even weirder things like time machines that will make you more cookies there are bitcoin cookies cookie currency yeah there's a cookie e-currency um so it is based around leveling like leveling up is like i hate that but it's to infinity the fun thing is that it never ends and you can't win and eventually it gets so boring that you can't do anything i yeah i got a notification like many days ago I'm still playing. And the the notification, like, it was like, achievement unlocked. You can stop now. Yeah, if the game is telling you to stop, it's not good. But uh, why did you play this game, Adrian? So I felt some interesting effects from playing this game. Um, For one thing, it made me realize the absurdity of a lot of other, uh, like, dopamine and oxytocin chasers that I do from just working on the internet like uh 
like faves on your tweets or like watching Chartbeat, which is the tool that tells you how many people are reading the website, motherboard.vice.com. And uh, in playing Cookie Clicker, it kind of made me realize that those things were sort of silly and made me feel a little bit more relaxed about them in a weird way. And it, it also, I don't know, it just, it, I feel like it made my brain loosen up in a weird way and kind of made me more creative and a little more, a little just less serious overall. The thing about Cookie Clicker is that it's going like even when you're not playing it. So you just have a tab up and the cookies increase and like your factories and farms, etc., are making cookies without you doing anything. Right. So you're kind of, you can play and still work at the same time. You just have to like click over whenever you feel like it and you can like okay, buy an yeah, upgrade or whatever, which on. is nice. So we're not just like staring at cookie clicker all day, but yeah. you can just like, just it's, a, it's a very quick break. I felt right. like it when there's actually stuff to do, but eventually you got like too good at the game and there is nothing to do anymore. Right. So now I'm making some number of trillion cookies per second. I'm trying to get up to 10 quadrillion so I can buy this gingerbread man. I don't know what it's going to do, but I think after that happens, I'll be able to stop. Jason already gave up. Yeah, I gave up last week because I wanted something that would waste slightly more of my time (laughs) because I would like go click over to it and there was seriously nothing to do. I would have to wait like four days at a time, leaving my laptop open, which is probably bad for it. And, you know, it's probably bad for your computer to be mining, like, six quadrillion cookies per second. (laughs) Um, So I I decided to call it quits. But, Chris, you think this is totally stupid. Chris is playing on his phone right now, and he hates it. No, I'm doing research. I'm reading the Wikipedia article about Cookie Clicker and, um, like, trying to find out if it is just, like, one big trollish endeavor. So there was a game before Cookie Clicker called Cow Clicker, which was a troll, and it was just like, you realize this is all Farmville is, clicking on a cow. So it was just like a picture of a cow, and you clicked on it, and it was like, you got a point, and that was the whole thing. So, okay, um, the the Wikipedia article on Cookie Clicker is extensive, um, like really long for something so simple, and it says that... Uh, IGN credits it as one of the few games that played a role in the establishment of the genre of idle gaming. Idle gaming. Which apparently is a thing. So idle gaming, uh, I mean, I don't need to click this link to understand what that basically is. But um, I don't know, man. I I thought like even games like Space Invaders are a little dull for me. And that has a lot more to do. Like, I don't know. Some twitch muscles involved there. Yeah. And some skill... This is, I don't, I find it, I don't, I don't know, things like this, I, people get obsessed with them or interested in them, and I'm always just like, I, I, I used it for 10 seconds, and I, I... See, that's how I felt about it the first time I became aware of it, which was over a year ago, and everybody in my office at the time was playing it, and I played it for a little while, and then I got bored and gave up. What's that game that everyone plays on Facebook and then, like, shares the thing on your wall and annoys the shit out of you? Clash of Titans? No, that's... that's Clash of Titans, the game with the ads on the Super Bowl. No, that's Game of Thrones? Or, not Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's like, no, it's called something like Game Cl- of... Uh, Gang Wars? No, Gang Wars was similar. No, far, uh, the farming one. Farmville? Farmville, yeah. Wow. That was, like, a long time <laughs> right, ago. Right, but there's still <laughs> people on Facebook who, who are, like, who messaging me with, like, oh, so-and-so wants you to do something fucking Farmville. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Why, and I don't understand why anyone gives a shit. And I don't understand why people send it money. It's yeah. crazy. Like, I I just really, I don't know. So, Gotta build a bigger uh, farm, man. 
I well, played. Um, make a real farm. Also, like grow some goddamn vegetables on your roof. I don't know. Like kind of like getting ready for when I would wean myself off Cookie Clicker. I tried playing the Kim Kardashian game. Well, okay, which explain is like, to me. So the Kim Kardashian game, it's a mobile game. I had to. I played it on uh, my boyfriend's iPad Mini. Is it licensed? Like, is it like a licensed, licensed property? Kim by Kim K. K. So she hired somebody to she, code this game. I think some. they were like, we have this idea for this game. Can we license your identity? Uh, anyway, I had read that it has like funny dialogue, which it does. And it has like kind of a funny self-aware premise, uh, which is that you're trying to make it as a celebrity. Sounds kind of like Kim Kardashian's Hollywood. life. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and uh, anyway, so, but the, this game, it's like the way they it gets money out of you is that the game moves so slowly unless you pay to do something like it'll be like you have to go on a date to earn like one star but then the date takes one hour in real time or like you have to go work at your job for four hours but it takes four hours in real time and you just like sort of can't do anything in the meantime unless you spend money to get the in-game currency to to buy more networks this is these games as a as a broader criticism. These games are ethically fucked up. Like, don't you think? Like, because you put them in the hands of somebody who has like a, uh, like a problem, and then they're they're just throwing all their money at it, and totally. like, and you know, of course, the whole like kids getting a hold of your iPad and racking up like a ten thousand dollar bill in a in a game. Um, well, there's a South Park episode about this. I, I mean, of course, there is. That, yeah, it's at that level, but yeah, I mean, the the economics behind these games are that like 98 percent of people won't pay, and it's like they're called free to play games. 98 percent of people to pay won't in the Kim play. Kardashian game. You just otherwise you just you're just draining your battery on your phone. Yeah, but uh, the you know in the other games. Uh, 98% of people won't pay, and then the 2% that do spend, like, thousands of dollars. The whales. Yeah, the whales. Um, I, I'm kind of addicted to a free-to-play game at the moment, which I have not paid for, nor will I ever, but I've been playing it for, like, two years, just, like, on the train and stuff. And it's Plants vs. Zombies 2, mm-hmm. and it's really fun. I can't... and it, And you can play it without, like, having to pay. It's, like, playable. But I don't know. I think that probably mobile gaming is a waste of time. But sometimes you're right. like hungover and can't read a book. So this is this is like a different a different phenomenon. Mobile gaming is a different phenomenon, and in-app purchases are a different phenomenon from cookie clicker and this idle gaming idea. Why wouldn't you just play one of the many like Nintendo emulators that's embedded in a website with Flash and just play Mario? Because Mario still rules and is awesome and rewarding to play. It's not idle though. These are games that you can play while you're at work. Why not and compete with your coworkers over? Why? But if you're doing it at work, it's not idle. It's going to distract you. Why not just take yeah, that time so to think and breathe and look at the world around you and find solace and humanity? Maybe this is the next level of idle gaming. We should start working on this game. Yeah, it's just idling. It's just enjoying <laughs> it's just life. Nothing. <laughs> Imagine. Um, yeah. No, the thing is, uh, Adrian just mentioned, we were competing, and that's the only reason it was any fun for me. Like, I showed how many cookies per second I was making, and I was like, yo, I'm beating you. So who won? But, uh, it doesn't I really did. matter. With and, endurance. I mean, yeah, but... No, it, I, I kind of had a head start from the beginning. Was anybody like else a 30-hour head start. Was anybody else on the motherboard I mean, editorial minutes. staff in this game? No, no, but I'll, some people would walk by and be like, what are you doing? And then, so I think others were, like, aware that it exists. 
Anyways, to be like totally it. honest, I spent maybe five minutes of my day every day, like clicking cookies and upgrades and then going back. And in five minutes of Mario, you can beat the entire game if you can do a speed run, but I can't. Also, to be totally honest, there when I first started playing it, it was so... I would, I would like leave my laptop on overnight before Jason and I set, set that down as a ground rule uh, that you couldn't do that. But um, there were mornings when I was excited to come into work a little extra than usual, just specifically because I wanted to see how many cookies I had made over. I guess the, co- the competition aspect of it makes it like slightly more appealing than just like lone, like being lonely and like clicking the cookies. Like I think it's like you just you have to try apartment. it. You have to try it to understand what I'm talking about. But I really did feel like it was it was fueling some latent creative part of my brain and having some kind of meditative effect on me. I think Adrian maybe got a little bit more out of this game than I did, but <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I, I mean clicker. she is right. It is it was kind of relaxing and much like Chartbeat, it has like constantly changing numbers on it and it's you feel right. like you're getting something when you click like there's all these like plus eight million cookies for clicking on it and like the numbers keep going up right but chart beat is you're watching like pieces that you worked on and seeing how they how successful they are so that's like creatively right. rewarding or creatively but troubling. when it's all numbers on the internet it's hard to it's hard to really process it that way oh you i bet you wish you had youtube comments Dude, oh, we I have never those read sometimes. the YouTube comments. <laughs> I had a policy of not reading the YouTube comments. Oh, they're wonderful. They're just wonderful. I actually yeah. let some YouTube comments hurt my feelings the other week. No. Which was... <laughs> YouTube comments. If you're if listening you're to this, be nice. Which is the worst thing you can say. Just do whatever you want. See? I don't care. Doesn't affect me. Do not engage. <laughs> do not engage. Never engage. You just fed the trolls. Yeah, that's feeding like, trolls, man. They're just going to come back with vengeance. Remo troll food. Yeah. They love it. They anyway, gobble it up. Edit that out, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's for my safety. Um, yeah, so I don't think we intended to talk about Cookie Clicker for quite that long. I think we just wanted it to be like a fun little outro. Um, but then I had so much to say. But uh, if you've played Cookie Clicker and have some thoughts, or if you are intrigued and you go and play it after listening to this and have some thoughts, then um, email us at editor at motherboard.tv. Adrian's looking for some new competition, I think. Yeah. Bring it on. As always, if you're still with us, thanks very much for listening. Uh, You can check us out at motherboard.vice.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. That's soundcloud.com slash motherboard. I was joined today by Adrian Jeffries and Chris O'Coin. And our editor is Kevin Gibo. Thanks a lot to our sponsor, Casper Mattresses. You can go to casper.com and use code VICE for $50 off of any mattress. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. 
Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.